Translation and purport by Sheila Prabhupada. The common materialistic conditioned souls speculate that the Lord is one of them. Out of their ignorance, they think that the Lord is affected by matter, although he is unattached. Purport. The word Abhuddha is significant here. Due to ignorance only, the foolish mundane wranglers misunderstand the, the Supreme Lord and spread their foolish imaginations among innocent persons by propaganda. The Supreme Lord Sri Krishna is the original primeval personality of Godhead. And when he was personally present before the eyes of everyone, he displayed full-fledged divine potency in every field of activities. As we have already explained in the first verse of Srimad Bhagavatam, he is completely independent to act however he likes, but all his actions are full of bliss, knowledge, and eternity. Only the foolish mundaners misunderstand him, unaware of his eternal form of knowledge and bliss, which is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita and Upanishads. His different potencies work in a perfect plan of natural sequence and doing everything by the agency of his different potencies. He remains eternally the supreme independent. When he descends on the material world by his causeless mercy to different living beings, he does so by his own potency. He is not subject to any condition of the material modes of nature, and he ascends as he is originally. The mental speculators misunderstand him as a supreme person, and they consider his impersonal features as inexplicable Brahman to be all. Such a conception is also the product of conditioned life because they cannot go beyond their own personal capacity. Therefore, one who considers the Lord on the level of one's limited potency is only a common man. Such a man cannot be convinced that the personality of Godhead is always unaffected by the modes of material nature. He cannot understand that the sun is always unaffected by infectious matter. The mental speculators compare everything from the standpoint of experimental knowledge of their own selves. Thus, when the Lord is found to act like an ordinary person in matrimonial bondage, they consider him to be like one of them, without considering that the Lord can at once marry 16,000 wives or more. Due to a poor fund of knowledge, they accept one side of the picture while disbelieving the other. This means that due to ignorance only, they always think of Lord Krishna as like themselves and make their own conclusions, which are absurd and inauthentic from the version of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Tam ayam manyate loko, yasangam apisanginam, atmopam yena manujam, the common materialistic conditioned souls speculate that the Lord is one of them. Out of their ignorance, they think that the Lord is affected by matter, so he is unattached. So here we find misused knowledge misused knowledge. People have some idea of Krishna. They've read something about him. They've heard something about him. But instead of trying to understand him as he is, they, they have take their own speculation. The Prophet says they take half. They say, okay, Krishna's married. Therefore, he's like me. 
And they don't say, well, but he married 16,100 women at one time in separate 16,100 manifestations. Oh, oh, they say, oh, I don't believe that. Nobody could do that. Well, then why do you believe that he got married at all? I mean, this is exactly what prophet's saying here, right? He says, when the Lord is found to act like an ordinary person in matrimonial bondage, they consider him to be like one of them without considering that the Lord can at once marry 16,000 wives or more. Due to a poor fund of knowledge, they accept one side of the picture while disbelieving the other. So they'll say, well, yes, okay, Krishna enjoyed with the gopis, but he didn't lift over on hill. I probably often talks about in our song, Jai Radha Madhava, how Krishna is also Giri Vadadari. Gopi Janabalava Giri Vadadari. Not only Gopi Janabalava, but also Giri Vadadari. And this taking half the picture, distorting the picture, it ruins everything. Uh, just like we read in the Ishapanishad. Right? Andam Tama Pravishyanti Ye Vidam Pasate those who engage in the culture of nation activity shall enter into the darkest region of ignorance. Worse still are those engaged in the culture of so-called knowledge. Those are one of the people who don't surrender to Krishna are the people whose knowledge is stolen by illusion. Misused knowledge misused knowledge. I had a funny experience of this yesterday. I was reading a, a very interesting article about decision-making. And it was showing evidence that when people come in front of a parole board, they're more likely to be paroled early in the morning, right after a break, and right after the judge has had something to eat that has sugar in it. Because when a person's brain has enough sugar and they're well-rested and they're fresh, they're more likely to make thoughtful decisions. But as the day goes on, as people get tired and as they pack their brain making all the decisions during the day, they're no longer so much willing to make decisions and consider everything. And they'll take the least risky path, which means either just leaving things alone. Well, you know, we'll just keep this guy in jail. We can always parole him later. Or it may mean making uh, just saying, oh, all right, I'll just take that, whatever it is. They were saying that when people are buying a car, that first they'll go over, you know, well, do I want it this shade of red or that shade of red? Do I want this kind of stereo system or that kind of stereo system? And as they make more and more and more decisions, they get tired. And by the end of the decision-making process, they choose whatever the default is. So this is some knowledge about how our brains work. And you can use this knowledge to say, okay, if I have important decisions to make, make sure that I'm rested, make sure I have something to eat, make sure that I'm fresh, and don't try to make too many difficult decisions in the same day. Uh, just like I know that sometimes the leaders of our Krishna consciousness movement, I've seen it personally, that they start their meetings literally at 6 o'clock in the morning, and they're having their meetings till 8 o'clock at night, and by the, you know, after four or five hours, frankly, they're not able to make such good decisions. They'll do either one of two things. They'll either just won't make a decision or they'll just choose the easiest decision rather than being thoughtful. So we can use this knowledge to try to structure our own lives. 
However, this knowledge can also be misused. How could it be misused? Well, let's say you're trying to sell someone a car and you know that when they get to the fifth or sixth or seventh decision that they're more likely to just go with the default because they'll be too tired to think about it anymore. So you can, change, you can put the most expensive default decisions toward the end. So you can try to mentally exhaust them with small inexpensive decisions at the beginning and by the time they get to the really expensive decisions, they'll be too tired and they'll just go with whatever you tell them. You could also schedule times for decision making toward the end of the day when people are tired and they're more likely to go with the default value. So you could use this knowledge to manipulate people. You could use this knowledge uh, to cheat people and for your own advantage. And you could also use this knowledge in order to better structure your own life to make good decisions. So this is a, a simple material example. I'm sure we could give millions and millions and millions of examples of how misused knowledge is worse than ignorance. Right? Misused knowledge is worse than ignorance. And the same principle applies to transcendence. That it's better not to know anything about Krishna than to know something about Krishna and misuse it. Of course, on another level, any connection with Krishna will eventually purify you. Yam Prodakama Sahaja Pranayani Bhitti Vatsaya Mahavurva Sevi Bhavai Sanchintasum Sarisintanimaparate. So even Kamsa, by always meditating upon Krishna, became liberated. Putana. Right? Pandraka, a very funny demon who actually thought that he was Vishnu and Dressed up, he had a benediction, Jiva Goswami says, from Lord Shiva, so he could look just like Vishnu. However, uh, that's not the way to go about it. First of all, that's very risky, because if you engage in misuse knowledge, you may commit offenses. And just like Prabhupada was asked here in Hawaii, suppose people are chanting, but they're saying, okay, you can do whatever material thing you want. It will be counteracted by chanting. Prabhupada said that is not only an offense, it is the greatest offense, and it may take them 700 lifetimes to become perfect. So if our contact with Krishna is offensive, uh, first of all, we may just go to hell. It's not that every offensive person is liberated. Just like Kalyavana, Kalyavana was offensive, and Krishna did not kill him himself, but he arranged for King Muchakunda to kill him, and therefore Kalyavana did not get the benediction of being directly killed by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So if one's association with Krishna is offensive, if one is using Krishna for one's own purposes, then one may not get the result one desires, or one may get the result only after a very, very long time. Now, if you're pouring water on wood and trying to light a fire, first you have to dry out the wood before the fire is going to catch. So these sort of people, Maya Paritagyana, whose knowledge is stolen by illusion, they don't surrender to Krishna. They, they use Krishna. Just like a lot of these uh, Prabhupada's foolish mundane wranglers, who, as he says, spread their foolish imaginations among innocent persons by propaganda. Many of these people use Krishna's leelas in order to justify hurting other people. And just like people who say, well, Krishna danced with so many other men's wives, so I can also do that. And they lure innocent women into an illicit relationship where they destroy their lives and destroy their families in the name of spirituality. 
I mean, I, I know one devotee who actually wrote, uh, he became involved with some of these sahajiyas and he wrote to his wife, I can be Krishna and you can be Radha. Unfortunately, she had enough sense not to get involved with such nonsense. But people who justify uh, intoxication, illicit sex, gambling, you know, well, Radha and Krishna are playing dice in the middle of the day at Radhakun, so we can play dice. Uh, Balaram is drinking Varuni beverage, so we can drink alcohol. And it's this way, using Krishna to create havoc. Using Krishna to create havoc. So it just imagine, you know, it, if, if someone ignores you, that's bad enough. But if somebody uses you as an instrument of evil, that's really terrible. You know, have you ever written something or said something which someone else then used to get you in trouble? Ah, oh, it's horrible, isn't it? Right? I mean, it's happened to me so many times that especially, like Robin said, say anything but think a thousand times before you put it in writing. I mean, I started to, to write something the other day, and then I stopped and I thought, okay, how could I be misquoted? <laughs> How is it possible for me to be misquoted and somebody use this to cause harm? Well, Ormila said this, you know, and use it to cause harm to people. And it's, it's such a problem. I was speaking to one of my friends the other day, and she said, well, if you're recording this conversation, I was thinking, whoa. <laughs> you know? So poor Krishna, he has to worry that his words and his deeds and his activities are going to be used to create the very opposite of what he wants to do. So people will use Krishna's activities to promote a dharma. If you know that Krishna's activities are all divyam, they're all divine, then just knowing that in truth, right? knowing that in tattvataha, in truth, then, when you give up the body, you will no longer have to take birth again. And you will go to Krishna. Just understanding that in truth, not superficially, not like parroting a catechism, Krishna's activities are all divine, but some realization of the divine nature and the, the sweetness, the adventure, the excitement of Krishna's pastimes, how they are truly, as Prabhupada says here, above the modes of material nature. So some realization of that. Uh, one can conquer birth and death. Gunarjanma Jaya. One can conquer birth and death. But instead of understanding them properly, they misunderstand them, and therefore they entangle themselves and others deeper and deeper in the cycle of repeated birth and death. And this happens among, of course, among scholars who admittedly have no interest in religion, who may be admitted atheists. I, where was I? Oh, yeah, I think I was visiting my mother. And for some reason, oh, yeah, there was no one to stay in her apartment. So she arranged for me to stay in the apartment of a friend of hers who was out of town, uh, a lawyer. And in that apartment, I found a book that talked about Krishna, written by this lawyer's son. But Krishna was portrayed in a very offensive way, especially his dealings with the gopis. Not just offensive in terms of promoting illicit sex, but offensive in terms of impersonalism. As Prabhupada also says here in today's purport, 
that they think the Brahman is all in all. They think people think that the Brahman is everything and the person Krishna is some temporary or illusory or even as the Mayavadis say, a mode of ignorance manifestation of the Brahman. So as explained in Adi Leela chapter seven, the impersonalists think that Krishna is Brahman covered by ignorance. Unbelievable. So this person was touting such a philosophy based on Krishna's Leela. All right, I remember when we used to watch the Indian version of the Ramayana and the drama itself was very nice, but at the beginning of each of the tapes, they would interview some sadhu or so-called sadhu in India talking about the Ramayana. And I, I remember one, we, we would usually just skip over all of them and, and not even watch them. But I remember one of them, we were all just rolling on the floor laughing. And the, this man was describing how, you know, actually Sita is the self and Ram is the body and Ravana is evil things, snatching the self from the body. And then he says, and as you read the Ramayana, you become Ram, you become Sita, and you become Ravana. And we were just, we couldn't stop laughing. We were thinking, why would anybody want to become Ravana? So, so many imaginations. Imagining Krishna as an ordinary person, engaged in illicit activity, engaged in stealing, engaged in intoxication, like gambling. Imagining that actually Krishna doesn't really exist, that he's an illusion, and that all there is is the Brahman. Imagining that we're going to merge with Krishna. Uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur listed, uh, what was it, 14 or 16 Asampradayak groups, people who were connected with Krishna and preaching Krishna consciousness, but preaching in a way that was really just going to cause a disturbance, misusing knowledge, misusing knowledge. And the same is true today. I mean, anyone who thinks that only the bona fide followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu are preaching Gaudiya Vaishnavism or preaching Vaishnavism must be, you know, <laughs> sitting on the moon because there's a lot of groups today preaching all kinds of versions of Krishna consciousness. Uh, there is one person preaching that you shouldn't chant the Hare Krishna mantra until you're strictly following the regulative principles because you'll make an offense. Just chant the Gora uh, mantra. There are people pre pre preaching that you should just chant the Panchatattva mantra because that will free you from offenses and don't chant Hare Krishna. And there are people preaching all sorts of impersonalistic ideas in the name of Krishna consciousness. There are people teaching uh, that one should engage in tantric sexual activities as a way of attaining bhakti yoga and so many things. On and on and on and on and on. So this is of course to be expected when something is true and powerful, then it is going to be not only used, but misused. And of course, as we said from the beginning, misuse of knowledge is much worse than ignorance. You're much worse off offending Krishna than ignoring him and forgetting about him. Right? At least forgetting about him, you're innocent. <laughs> not knowing you're, you're innocent, but knowing and using for your own purposes. Of course, this is the essence of 
the offense against chanting, of committing sins on the strength of chanting. It means that I'm using Krishna as my servant. Okay, Krishna, I'm going to do all kinds of sinful things. Then you come and clean up the mess. Now, this is the behavior of young children. One of my granddaughters did this the other day. She was angry and she threw her rice all over the floor and then she refused to clean it up. And my daughter-in-law had to clean it up for her. So this is tolerated, you know, when you're four, five, six years old. But not that the devotee is thinking, okay, Krishna is going to clean up my mess. We find this very prevalent among some Christians. I can go on sinning. I can do whatever sin I want. That's all right. Jesus will get nailed to the cross for me. And I don't have to pay the price. You know, my father will bail me out of jail. And, then, and I'm going to use my father for that purpose. So this is the essence of that mentality. This is why it's called the greatest offense. So we may think that, well, what does this have to do with me? Obviously, it has to do with us in the sense of preaching or outreach that we want to establish the actual truth. Anger is also used in the service of the Lord, and we should feel angry that people are taking this knowledge of our most beloved Lord, the sweetest, kindest, most gentle, most wonderful, most compassionate person, and they are distorting him in a way that is causing harm to others. And this anger is not, should not be self-righteous anger, but rather it should be loving anger. It should be the kind of anger that one feels if you see somebody beating somebody else. I, I was just uh, reading in the news yesterday, one man was standing outside his house when he saw a, a, a man pull up in a vehicle, grab a six-year-old child off the street and kidnap her. So immediately he got very angry. He got in his own truck and he followed the other man and he rescued this little girl. And this man in the, in the, in the kidnapper's car there were things like duct tape and tools of torture. So immediately he felt very, you know, the, the man just seeing it, it's natural response that if you see somebody harmed, you're going to feel angry because you care. Not angry because you think, well, I'm better. I'm better than these Maya Parichaganas. I know all about Krishna. No. They're, these people are being harmed. They're harming themselves and they're harming others. And as a well-wisher of all living entities, I want to go and give the actual truth, however I can, by speaking, by writing, by my own example, by art, by music, and in any way, to show what is the actual truth. That is the way, as Krishna says, one can be the best servant. Krishna says there's never going to be anyone more dear to him than someone who's preaching the truth. Because it's only by the truth that going to, people are going to become happy. And Krishna desires the ultimate unlimited happiness of everyone. So anyone who turns on the light, anyone who brings healing, anyone who brings truth, that person is going to be so dear to Krishna. Krishna is so grateful to such a person. In fact, one can understand the Sanskrit of that verse to me. No one else can be dear. Of course, there's many, many ways that we can benefit others. Uh, the first is that we have to ourselves be established in the truth. Uh, but this is one way that we can deal with this problem. 
that we be established in the truth ourselves, we be a beacon of the truth, and we help others. And the other way, perhaps the most important way, and the foundational way we can relate to this, is to look within our own heart, to look within our own life. Am I misusing knowledge? Am I misusing an opportunity? Uh, just like we may be a member of a sangha or a spiritual society where persons who want to achieve the ultimate goal of Krishna praying, Raj praying, to enter into, as we are praying to Tulsi every day, Sakir Anugatakara, I want to follow in the footsteps of the maid servant. I want to be a servant of Rinda Devi, Srimati Radharani, Das Das Anudas of Mahaprabhu that we are in the Sangha of people who want to achieve this, Prema Pumartha Mahan. We want to achieve not just Dharma, Artikama, Moksha, but we want to achieve Prema. But when we enter into such a society, we may again, due to past bad habits, misuse the knowledge and misuse the association and misuse the facility for our own personal sense gratification, for our own self-aggrandizement, to justify our own sinful activity. We may think, oh, membership in this society is a way for me to gain status and power and position and lord it over others. As she Prabhupada defined uh, in the 16th chapter by Gita, when Prabhupada is purporting the divine quality, he talks about humility means not being eager to get honor from others and pridelessness means that one should not want to be known as a very religious person. In other words, one should not want to use Krishna for one's own self-aggrandizement. Oh, I'm a senior person, I'm a learned person, and therefore I can overlord you. This is a very common behavior among people of any religious affiliation. I'm sure all of us have been annoyed by some self-righteous religious person accosting us in the street or at, our, at the door of our house, trying to beat us over the head with how much more wonderful they are in religion and in spirituality than we are. And this can happen not only with members of other religious faiths, it can happen to us, it can happen to people that we know. One can misuse the facility of a religious organization to get a comfortable eating and sleeping. I mean, a person may be uh, following their vows and going through the prescribed method just to get a place to sleep and something to eat and some little meaningful work to do. One can misuse it as just a means of uh, being comfortable in one's own culture. One can misuse it as a means of thinking, yes, okay, I'm all right, I'm a good person. Uh, there's so many ways that one can come to Krishna and come to a society of devotees and instead of actually using it for the intended purpose, use it for something else and become distracted. So although everyone follows Krishna's path in all respects, there are many exits off of that path. And if we are using this knowledge of Krishna, and if we are using the association of devotees in a way other than intended, then we may find that the result is not what we would like. The result may not be what we would like. Just like if you get some machine and you use it in a way that is not intended, you know, it may simply bring you suffering. 
So we should examine deeply within ourselves. Am I taking the whole picture? Now, do I just pick out parts of the Shastra? Oh, this part I like, this part I don't like. Now, this, this point the Acharya's made, that I like, this other thing, no, I'm going to reject that. Are we misinterpreting and skewing aspects of the Shastra, the philosophy, to suit our own position? Are there things we're afraid to preach about or afraid to admit about because they're going to make us look bad and they're going to push us to change our own behavior and change our own mindset? Do we avoid those things? Or do we just go to the things that make us look good and make us feel confident about what we're already doing? Are we really willing to confront the deep-seated, as I was just hearing Prabhupada say this morning, malice? Prabhupada said the root of our conditioned life is malice. Usually we say envy, but envy and malice are basically two different ways of looking at the same thing. Are we willing to really go to the root? Are we willing to be really attracted to Krishna? Not just take Krishna as some theoretical construct, some philosophical idea, but really absorb our mind, manmana bhavamad bhakto, maya shaktamana parta, to really absorb our mind and allow ourselves to become attracted to Krishna. Allow ourselves to surrender to Krishna. Let go of our fears. Let go of our doubts. Uh, let go of our selfishness. And actually be receptive. This morning I was also reading Prabhupada's purport. Where he says that one can get out of the material world simply by desiring to do so. Are we allowing ourselves to become captivated by this information of Krishna? Such that our desire is burning so strongly that we'll be impelled like a jet rocket through this process of Krishna consciousness. Or are we dragging our feet and putting weights around our ankles, finding all sorts of excuses and diversions, whether we're being diverted by sense gratification in the name of Krishna consciousness, whether we're being diverted by criticizing others in the name of Krishna consciousness? How are we using the knowledge and the sangha that we have. Otherwise, we also may be accused by Srila Prabhupada in this purport and accused by the sages at Namasaranya of being a Buddha without intelligence. So if we want to be actually intelligent, we should know that we have gotten the most sublime and wonderful knowledge that can unlock for us the key to achieving everything we desire. Let us take it and use it properly, both for our own benefit and for the benefit of the world. So thank you very much. I need to stop at 8.30 today at the latest. If there's any questions, comments, corrections, objections, Okay, I've unmuted everybody on three conferencing sides, so please remain muted, uh, but if you have any questions or comments, unmute yourself. Go ahead. Bold class, Irma. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I got in a bold mood today somehow or other. Mother Irma, I have a, a question. Um, 
the, it prompted, uh, this was prompted by the class that you gave on Tuesday. Um, let me say it like this. You know, there's that, the verse in the, the fourth chapter, Vita Raga Baya Krodha. Um, a conditioned uh, being can be, uh, when they hear about their spiritual constitution, they can actually be afraid. Um, let me say it like this. Um, I understand that this world, I'm convinced, it's dukkha alayam ashashatam. It's temporary and it's full of misery. That's no doubt. And when you hear about these pastimes, just like the queens of Dwarka, uh, you know, it's very attractive. Um, however, um, what I was thinking is that, okay, that's fine for the queens of Dwarka, but as far as conditioned souls like us that are just so fallen, when we attain our spiritual form, what if it is, like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu describes, you know, stita duli sadrisham, you know, you're actually, you know, like a particle of dust or a blade of grass or something like that. Um, yeah, because I've asked this question a couple of times. I never really got a completely satisfactory answer. I, okay, go, go back go back to Tuesday's verse, text 35. Okay. And I want you to scan the purport. It's going to be right, almost right in the middle of the purport a little lower than the middle of the purport, at least the way it's laid out on my screen. All right. Uh, and what Prabhupada says here is, if, this, if the relation is, is established with the Lord, then we are transferred to the spiritual world after leaving this material body and become eternally related with him in the relation we desire. Okay. All right, then I have a question about that. If, okay, Krishna is Bhokta. He is the enjoyer. Now, just like if, if I want to create a machine, then the parts don't decide what their function is. Or let's say if I want to build a house, uh, let's say a doorknob decides it doesn't want to be a, a doorknob anymore. Why do you think that we're a machine? Your premise is Okay, in the spiritual world, everything. Yeah, let's is... talk about people, because we're not we're not doorknobs and we're not machines. The doorknob doesn't have a choice. I agree. You don't ask the piece of wood when you carve it. Would you like to be a doorknob or would you like to be a table? But we're not talking about that. We're talking about people. So let's think about an intelligent manager. Even a, a grossly selfish demoniac manager, okay? So let's say you're really selfish and you're really demoniac. You're really, really cruel. Okay. And, you know, you want to make a lot of money selling, let's see, cars. All right, so you get put together a manufacturing plant. And you hire employees. Now, are you going to want your employees to be happy or not? Oh, absolutely happy. Of course. Then I can get what I, what I want. Why, why, if you're a demoniac, selfish, money-hungry, profit, greedy boss, would you want each of your employees to be happy with their work? 
Because if they're happy, then I'm happy. No, you're demoniac and you're selfish and you're greedy and you don't care one bit. Well, if they're not happy, are they going to be able to do their function properly? Exactly. If your employees are happy, they're more likely to come to work on time. They're more likely to do their best work. They're more likely to produce a good product and you're more likely to be profitable. Are you going to want to situate your employees doing the kind of work that they're the best at? Yes. Yes. And if 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 someone shows that they're really good at something and they really enjoy it, are you going to want them to are you going to want to put them in that position? Obviously. Obviously. So if that's true, even if you're entirely selfish and you don't really care one bit about the feelings of your employees, then why wouldn't the person who's our best friend and who was is looking for us not to enjoy us in an exploitive way, but to enjoy us in a loving, reciprocal way, why would he not be like that? I mean, it's only the biggest fool who's going to want to situate employees in a position that they don't like and they're not good at. I mean, you'd have to be a complete idiot. You know, you'd have to be more concerned about seeing people suffer than even your own profit. I mean, there are people who are that demoniac. Who are who are just so interested in causing pain to others that they don't even care if they also suffer. As long as other people are suffering, that's okay. But that's unusual. So why would Krishna want to force us? How how would he get any pleasure out of forcing us to do something that we don't like? I mean, what's what's in that for him? You know. It, if that's the kind of person that he is, by the way, this doubt is, is a doubt that I found universally. So don't be surprised for having this doubt. This is, I see that this doubt is at the root of why we don't surrender. We wonder if Krishna's a nice guy. Can I trust him? Because in this world, you know, we've surrendered to so many people and... They have been willing to exploit us for their own purposes. Even if they care about our happiness, their caring about our happiness only exists as long as our happiness serves our purposes. And if our happiness doesn't serve their purposes, they're willing to jettison it. They're mostly concerned about themselves. So we think that Krishna is going to be like that. That's the whole essence of today's purport. That people look at Krishna's pastimes and think, oh, Krishna is going to be like some other conditioned soul. Mm-hmm. You know, but he's not. I mean, I mean, honestly, even people who are elevated materially are not so much like that. Mm-hmm. People we've met who are more in the modes of goodness, they're just not like that. Or maybe they're like that only to a small extent. I'm sure all of us have met people in our lives who genuinely desire our welfare. Maybe not 100%, but at least to some extent. I mean, my parents, especially my father, genuinely desired my welfare. He was never envious of me. He genuinely wanted me to be happy. And, you know, he's 
just this very ordinary conditioned soul. He's not a particularly, well, he's not living in that body anymore, but he's not a particularly elevated soul, but just because we had that relationship with father and daughter, and he has some moral sense, he had that feeling. So what to speak of Krishna, who is Sudhasattva? He has no tinge, not, not even the slightest, tiniest hint of fragrance of any desire to exploit anybody. Why? Why should he? He doesn't need anything. He has, he has no need to fulfill. He's pornum. He's complete. I, you know, if you meet Bill Gates, do you really think he's going to try to cheat you out of a dollar? <laughs> I mean, come on. It, how could your dollar motivate him to cheat you? He's not interested in it. There's no value to it. He's already got it. You know, so Krishna has he has no impetus. Even if you doubt his character, he has no impetus to try to cheat us or exploit us or force us because he's already got everything. There's really, you know, the relationship that Krishna is having with us is on the platform of freedom. But material relationships are all degrees of force and coercion. And they're all degrees of seeing other people as doorknobs or as machines that are meant to fulfill our desires. Like Prabhupada wrote, I think to Hayagiva, he said, the wife should not be taken as a machine for satisfying your lust. So this is generally how we see other living entities. Just like the meat eaters, they see the animals as machines for satisfying their taste buds. We see the trees and the plants as just machines for satisfying our hunger or our need for shelter and so many things. And we see even other people like that, that they're just machines for fulfilling our desires. We think Krishna must be like that. But that view of others as machines is basically that of a thief or a rapist. A thief and a rapist, they think this other living entity, they have something that I want. And if I can't get them to give it to me, if I can't somehow convince them or manipulate manipulate them to give it to me, then I'm going to take it from them by force. And Krishna's not like that. Krishna's not a rapist. He's a lover. He's not a thief. He's an exchanger of gifts. Okay, you can say he stole the gopi's butter, but he was a little child then. And a little child is, is very adorable when they do things like that. Any of you who've ever raised children, so the mischievous of children is very endearing. So Krishna is a, is a lover. He's, he's full of love. He's not he's not an exploiter. He's not a he doesn't coerce. In fact, when we say that Krishna doesn't enjoy the material energy, what do we mean by that? What is material energy? Material energy means the consciousness of thinking that the spiritual is material and it is there for me to exploit and coerce. That is what we mean by material energy. Bhagavad Gita 424, Prabhupada talks about how this process of Krishna consciousness converts the material into the spiritual. Actually, everything is spiritual energy. 
What does spiritual energy mean? Spiritual energy means that there's an exchange of voluntary loving service. Robert said, be careful not to kill the spirit of enthusiastic service, which is individual, spontaneous, and voluntary. Individual, spontaneous, and voluntary. That is the essence of the spiritual energy. Loving, individual, spontaneous, voluntary give and take. And the essence of material energy is everything and everyone else is inanimate. And I am the only living being. And it is my job to coerce and to exploit and to take uh, by negotiation, maybe, and by force if necessary. And when I say by force, this includes insulting others, making others feel guilty, uh, punishing others, rewarding others, in any way trying to manipulate others to try to coerce them to giving us what we want instead of having a free voluntary exchange. So that's the nature of the difference between material and spiritual. And because of long immersion in the material, it is natural. It is natural that we will be afraid that the spiritual is also like the material. That is a natural fear. And the only way to get over that fear is to go in gradually. <laughs> as fast as you're willing, but gradually. You know, I remember one devotee giving a class years ago where he said, and I don't know, if you've grown up in Hawaii, you're not going to relate to this, but just like in the winter when the pond or the lake freezes over, at least I grew up by a lake and it would freeze over in the winter. And what do you do? You know, like an ice skating rink, they actually, you know, somebody's testing it for you. But on the lake, you got to test it yourself. So what do you do? You know, first, you maybe you throw a rock on the lake and see if it breaks the, the ice. You know, I throw a little bit bigger rock. Then you put your toe on the ice. Then you kind of put, you know, you're walking right near the edge and you kind of step on it a little harder. And then you're stomping on it. And pretty soon, you're ice skating all over the ice. So test Krishna. Don't judge Krishna, how spiritual and unexploitive Krishna is, by the behavior of his still struggling neophyte servants. You don't judge a university by the freshman class, especially not the freshmen who are just partying and not doing their studies. Not how you judge a university. So what I'm saying to test Krishna, I'm not saying to judge Krishna that by the behavior of his sincere but struggling and beginning wannabe servants. But try depending on Krishna. Krishna, try depending on Krishna. Try establishing a relationship with Krishna. Try chanting Hare Krishna's Ainanda Tanuja Kinkaram. And by the way, you talked about that verse, Sita Duli Sadrishim. A Kinkari. Kinkari means a maidservant. So it doesn't literally, Mahaprabhu is not asking literally to be a speck of dust. He's asking to be a maidservant who feels uh, as an insignificant as a speck of dust. So try chanting in that mood of Ainanda Chanu Jikinkara Pachitam Mam Vishame Babambujo Kripaya Tavapada Pankita Sita Dulu Sadrishin Vichinchaya. Vichinchaya, you please consider. Try, try having, getting some, absorbing your mind in some pastime of Krishna where you feel attracted. One place Prabhupada said you can just pick one pastime, meditate on that over and over again, whatever it is. Krishna feeding butter to the monkeys or 
filling the fruit vendor's basket with jewels, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu dancing in seven parties at the same time, Varaha lifting the earth, whatever it is. Find some transplant of the Lord that, that captivates us and engages us and brings out a feeling of affection for the Lord. And try chanting in that mood and try doing one service in that mood. And Krishna will reciprocate. And as he reciprocates, you'll see that he's very, very kind. That he's very, very kind. And that he only wants the best for us. I, I'll, I'll end with, with this little story that one devotee who I counsel quite a bit was writing me for a few weeks about how the people in, in his community actually had problems in that community for at least two years. And how things got so bad in the community, he was being falsely accused of committing a crime. His fiance was told so many lies about him that she left him. And just so many problems. And finally, things got so bad that he was practically speaking forced to leave. Well, he ended up in so much of a better situation where he had so much spiritual mercy poured on him. I mean, he ended up receiving a deity for his personal worship that he'd been praying for for a long time. He ended up being engaged exactly in the kind of service that he wanted. He ended up being in a situation that was perfect for his, his preaching and his personal Krishna consciousness just showered with mercy. So although he was removed from his first situation apparently very harshly, I, I believe because he didn't respond to the lighter pushings when it was given, and he was removed from that situation, but he was put into a situation where he got the fulfillment of all of his desires. So test Krishna. Test Krishna. Try him out. Try becoming absorbed in Krishna. Experiment. And you'll see that he's a great guy. He's, he's, the, he's a wonderful person. He's the kind of boss you want to work for. He's the kind of person who will give you everything that you desire, so much more than what, what one can even imagine. Okay. All right, well, thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, this, this whole purport about people misusing Krishna and, and criticizing Krishna kind of uh, got my blood boiling a little bit. I hope it wasn't over the top. Thank you. Hare Krishna. All glory to Shri Prabhupada. All glory to Thank you. Hare Hare Hare